0: Welcome to the C-Suite podcast that we are recording at Money 2020 USA in Las Vegas. I'm Russell Goldsmith and together with Graham Barrett, we'll be chatting to a number of the speakers and attendees from the conference. We're producing the show
1: in partnership with Instant, a leader in fraud insurance technology and a five-star sponsor of Money 2020. We hope that through these short conversations with CEOs and senior executives from banks, credit unions and fintechs, will provide you with a real flavour and understanding of the topics and issues being discussed here at the event. Okay, I'm here with Jyoti Menon, VP Products, Lending and Mobile at Bread Financial. Lovely to see you at the Great show. Great to see
2: you, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here at your booth.
1: Listen, we're here at Money 2020. What do you see as the key talking points yeah. this year?
2: So I always love coming to Money 2020, so I'll open with that. It's always fun to see you know old friends, new potentially new colleagues, now doing podcasts, who knows what's next. Um, I think this year is really going to be about back to basics, they even mentioned it on their website for this event. I think it'll be a lot about how we look at fraud in the market, security, I think our customers are really looking for safety and soundness in all they do in their um, payments world, whether it's lending, whether it's cards, so I think that's really going to be a big focus and even in just different meetings already around, you know, how do we, how do, we do better about knowing our customer and offering them the right solutions.
1: Well, I'll come back to fraud in a minute actually, I'm keen to get some of your uh, ideas around that, but let's just kind of go back to the start of the journey if you like, what does the customer onboarding process look like at Bread?
2: Yes, yeah, so we take a lot of pride when we think about our merchants and our customers and really being as bespoke and white label for them as they like. So as we think about our merchant partners, we really look at, you know, what is their company? What is their, you know, what are they selling right um, and what's important to them in terms of what they're offering their customers? So for example, you know, if they're really big on rewards, how do we give them the right rewards program to drive loyalty? So that's a really big piece of this puzzle. The other is also around once someone is a customer, how do we make it as simple as possible to service their account? So in our account center, how do we make sure that they're able to redeem the rewards that they have um, received from shopping at any of our clients? So that's really important to us.
1: Now, you have the Bread Financial app, don't you? Now, now how does that tie into
2: your overall strategy? So, we've just um, launched our app for our proprietary card, our Bread Cashback, very recently. We're very excited by it. Got to give a lot of credit to the team who's been working on it. And it's a really fun app. I keep saying we've got some really fun assets in it. And and so, in terms of tying back to what we do, I think one of it is around we did our brand refresh or brand rebrand, frankly, to Bread Financial. So, it's really about showing our customers how we are trying to be really looking forward, digital front first, making really simple solutions that again drive that usage and feel like a customer is comfortable with us as Brent Financial. And so what we're you know continuing to do is we have it with our proprietary cards. How do we now start expanding it to our brand partners?
1: Now you mentioned fraud at the start of this interview. It's a really hot topic at Money 2020 this year. Obviously fraudsters are now getting increasingly sophisticated with technology like AI. So just be really keen to know what you guys are doing to combat that.
2: So we've seen credit card fraud definitely change a lot over the years. And as we start really thinking about some of these trends, what we're seeing, as you've mentioned, is really there's a, it's almost a whole market around fraudsters um, and a whole industry around it, which has been really crazy. And so what we really have to do is focused on how do we layer in the right levels of controls across our platform. So both at a merchant level, so that as we're bringing merchants on board, whether on the lending side or card side, we understand who they are and um, figure out how to underwrite their clients, as well as on our end, as we work across our credit risk business, our marketing teams, our client partnerships teams, it's really important for us to bring different tools in and really looking at digital tools. I mean, everyone likes to talk about Gen AI. I feel like I can't be in my first podcast and not talk about Gen (laughs) AI and put that in there. But there really is, you know, I half joke about it, but how do we get, you know, really get smart and get ahead and really use the data that we have to make the right decisions um, for our customers and, and for ourselves.
1: Yeah, no, somebody I spoke to the other day about this saying it's really a race between the good guys and the bad yeah. guys, yeah. you know, who's going to win, so, you know, it's a huge challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's
2: across the industry, unfortunately, yeah. and so hopefully there are ways as we, you know, work with different partners that are part of the larger ecosystem who have learnings so that we can learn from them as well.
1: Yeah. Well, listen, let's finish up. I know you've just released your latest American Shopper report. So, Tell us about some of the key findings of that report.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, this is a great report that comes out. We really think about, you know, different trends that are out there. And, you know, what are, again, who are our customers, what they're seeing. And so as I think about that, you know, running our um, our Breadpay product, what we've found and this report talks about is, no loan is too small, which I think is a big, I mean, I don't know if I say it's a big shift, but it's definitely been a shift in terms of how people are looking at it. And we're seeing that in, um, in Gen Z about 20% are turning to installment loans or longer-term loans, so we're really starting to sh- see that shift into that market, which makes sense, um, I think. And also, as we talk about where you know people are shopping, right? There's definitely you know boomers still in the shop, you know, in the stores and some of the big brands. We're seeing more of the Gen Z, the younger shoppers, more digital in what they're doing. So I think that's another really great area as we look at um, the future and how do we try to be as digital first and really meet our customers where they are. And that's where you start seeing the side of our business with both cards and lending from a purchasing and e-commerce and in-store perspective start to marry up really nicely with how we're doing our mobile app and really trying driving to a more digital model for our clients because again a lot of them that's really where they are and where they want to be
1: no i've had a look through that report there's some great insights yeah. in there so thanks for bringing of that course. to our attention
0: mm-hmm. Jyoti manon thanks for joining me on the podcast thank Your you first so much podcast. for having my first podcast <laughs> thank you so much for having me thank you so I'm joined now by Justin Kammerman, uh, the CPO of Instant. Justin, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Now, you guys have launched uh, Multipass today. What I want to hear from you is more from the technical perspective. Can you just talk us through the, the product a little
3: bit? Yeah, Multipass sort of puts into action what you might have heard about, decentralized identity, where users are given power over the identity to travel with them to share. They have complete control uh, of their identity and it helps voice privacy concerns, moving away from decentralized databases full of user data that are vulnerable to attack.
0: Why is it so revolutionary then?
3: Well to date, identity has been driven around what they call centralized data model where each company or bank or business or the public library or the DMV has a database with user information in it. Usually you gain access to that system and use their services with a username and password. That username and password gives you no portability amongst any of those other vendors, even though you might have been through a rigorous set of checks to be onboarded by any one of those particular services. And Fundamentally that's because that data lives inside those big monolithic centralized databases. The user loses power over his data, it's not portable, it's not transferable, he can't at a granular level decide who who gets to use it, or after deciding that someone can use it, revoke that permission. With decentralized identity, it says we all just cryptographically, and it is very complicated, and that's what we try to do with this product of ours, is to take these open standards, these open source implementations, and wrap them into a nice SDK so that our users don't have to worry about all the intricacies that go on inside of this project. They just get to use it to put into action decentralized identity where users have total control and privacy and portability over their identities.
0: Can you summarize the key features?
3: It's based on an open standard. It's leveraging open source tools that allow you to implement these open standards. But what we've done is wrapped sort of a software development kit uh, so that users can put these capabilities into their own applications on their own websites so they can onboard people without friction once they've been verified at one place or another. They can do passwordless login. They can build what-it-like capabilities into their own applications, their own websites. Again, all built on these open standards that allows this portability that I'm talking about that's fundamentally linked to decentralized identity.
0: And how does this um, fit into first-party fraud?
3: Well, any kind of fraud is usually a misrepresentation of who someone is or their intentions. Sometimes that comes from synthetic uh, identities, where the person isn't real. Sometimes it's third-party identities, where identities have been stolen. First-party means it's a real person, Using a portable identity gives you that assurance that you know who that person is. That allows a traceability to their financial history, uh, possible defaults, any transgressions, and those are all very strong signals towards reducing first party fraud.
0: Final question for you. Why should the FinTech industry be so excited about this?
3: Because you've been stuck in a world where Apple and Google and anyone with one of these big wallet providers is telling you that you're moving towards a more private, secure, portable identity world by using their product, you're not. These are walled gardens. They're basically just moving the centralized databases to the edge. They put it on your phone, but it's essentially still a centralized paradigm. The user doesn't have full control, doesn't have portability, doesn't have the right to privacy, and he doesn't have the right to revocation of these credentials.
0: Fantastic. Justin Cameron, appreciate you uh, summarizing all that for us, and thanks for joining the show.
3: Thanks very much. So we're now joined by uh, Scarlett Sieber,
0: the uh, Chief Strategy Officer at Money 2020. Um, Scarlett, I know how busy you guys are here. So first of all, thank you so much for taking some time out to join us. The event, just like, I mean, we were here last year, crazy and huge as ever. Has it met with your expectations?
4: Well one thing that you will find out as we get to know each other, Russell, is nothing ever meets my expectations. Okay. So that's that's first of first of that's all, but yes. Thing. I am I am certainly to this point so far, obviously we have a day and a half left of the show, but I have been happy with where we're at and it is so exciting to see, you know, time and time again the, the world of money come together and as we keep going, how that composition of our of our delegates continues to change when we think about what is it that is the world of money. You think about the banks, the regulators, the fintechs, the tech companies, but all these new players start coming in. So I love to watch that. We always try to mix things up and change how and, and where people interact with content. So that's the biggest thing that I've been spending time is, is what is that stage working? You're so energetic walking. Obviously, the stand is beautiful and there's a lot of energy here. But when we go over to the Under the star stage, it's darker. There's lights. It smells like the forest. You know, is that going to make you feel relaxed where you can sit and really understand what's going on? So all those things are what we look for. You um,
0: mentioned the content just just there. Um, What are the key kind of themes that you're focusing on?
4: Such a hard question. And it's funny because depending on which team you talk to of mine, uh, the US team doesn't like the word themes, but the reality is it's the same type of things. And we can play buzzword bingo all day, right? Because not surprisingly, and one thing that we've seen continue from our show in Amsterdam in June is... AI is the hottest thing in the world right now, right? So we definitely have that as one of our core areas of focus, but we're looking at it from different perspectives. So you had Ali Gozi, the CEO of Databricks, make that big announcement and talk about what they were doing in financial services on stage. A company valued at over $40 billion just had $500 million in investment. So they're talking about AI naturally being a tech company. Then we have other sessions which are much more about like actual use cases because it's really fun to talk about this all day, every day, but who is using this? How are they using it? Lots of data that has come out around that, and I know later on we'll talk a little bit about Instant and, and their announcement, and some of the other people who are with them around that time were really focusing on a bunch of stats around the banks and how much they actually be really are, need these AI uh, technologies to help their customers and help themselves in many cases. So AI is really big, RTP is big. Um, one other thing you'll be seeing, and you probably have already seen, maybe even through the conversations you've had to date, is the role of like, so reg tech, but more specifically the role of regulation. Think about what's happened this year, you know, the collapses and everything else. And so we have, we had the OCC, we have the SEC, we have ex-government people who have a little bit of a different perspective and maybe can speak a little bit more freely. So that's definitely a big, big focus for us. And we had a... We had Rachel Morrissey, someone on our content team, talk with uh, Rohit Chopra from the CFPB who made a big announcement here last year. Of course, recently 1033 just came out. So those are some of the key things that have been uh, happening with us.
0: You've got so much going on. I don't know how you've managed to find the time to do this, but last year you also wrote a book, which I believe was called Embedded Finance When Payments Become an Experience. Tell us a little bit about that.
4: Yes. So that was a, there is a lot going on. That was a a labor of love and I do not think I'll be doing that one again. (laughs) I've been asked a a few times around that and that was a, it was amazing, but um, basically so, so why did we, so why did I do that? Why did we do that? I did this with a co-author of mine by the name of Sophie Jabeau. Um, I had been thinking about before doing it, wanting to write a book for some time and had some, some interest in thinking about what would be the right thing, because obviously as we started the conversation, Russell, like the world of money is large, and so what area do you want to focus on? And one thing that had been consistent throughout my career in financial services is people not understanding what I do for a living or how what I do impacts them, and the reality is money is everywhere, so one of the things when we started thinking about embedded finance is how do we make sure that we make the book applicable to all And so people from outside the industry to have more of a desire to come within. And then equally for those within the industry, one of the things that I get frustrated with, which I talked to you about a second ago, is around like so much theory and not enough like real live use cases. And so we have a whole chapter dedicated to real live use cases. So yeah, but this all started when um, Sophie actually, and she's a good friend of mine, her and I were catching up on a consistent basis. And she said, oh my God, Scarlett, she uh, was looking at the Grab uh, financials and she said, Grab? Made more money from their financial services than they did from their delivery uh, business, and th- something is here. So we got on it. You know what you actually see out of the book took a year, but behead- ahead of that to start writing it and come up with it. But um, super excited about it, and th- we launched that money in 2020 Europe last June, and it continues to to get attention. And uh, what's been really interesting is seeing the different companies from different countries who have come and bought. Uh, rights for it so you know china turkey you name it so it's really cool to see the impact globally
0: that's tremendous um just in terms of wandering around the show floor here talking to some of the exhibitors the attendees i was just wondering what from those discussions you've understood as their biggest kind of challenges particularly that they're facing in terms of selling online, but also one of the things that we've been talking a lot about here is their customer onboarding. What, what's been the kind of feedback that you've had from from everyone?
4: 100%. I mean, obviously, you asked me earlier about, about themes and trends and everything else. I mean, fraud is the other biggest thing. I'm mean, Depending on how you slice the other comments that we talked about, fraud is a, a key, key piece about that identity, not surprisingly. Like, everyone and their mother wants to be in an identity company, but the role of a single source of truth you know the the self-sovereign ID is definitely a really really big topic and the other side of that is making sure from an end user perspective that you own your identity from beginning to end and how does that actually benefit you and make your life better And then from the business's perspective, how do you onboard more customers in a way that you know that that, whether it be through payments or whatever else, that you know that it's actually them and you're not getting the amount of fraud that you have in the past. That's definitely a big thing that we've seen across, across all of our shows, but in the U.S. for sure.
0: Uh, now, you touched on this earlier, just the last question for you, um, we're obviously recording this with our partners instant on their booth, Sunil Madhu, their, their CEO and founder, used Money 2020 to launch their big announcement, MultiPass. How important is it for you to have that kind of announcement at this event?
4: It is really important. So, fun, fun fact about Sunil and I, uh, I've known Sunil for almost a decade now, and actually I was an entrepreneur, not in fintech and uh, I had a tech startup as well, and I became a finalist at a startup competition for BBVA, the big global bank. Oh, right. And Sunil's previous company was also a finalist, and Sunil was on stage and actually won said competition. So I've known him since before I was ever in FinTech. So there's fintech. no bad blood there, though. No, absolutely <laughs> not, absolutely not. It's been really interesting to see how, how he's continued to evolve and grow. But as part of that, so back to the part of your question, which is really about For me, and I I take this and my team knows this, I take a ton of responsibility and there is a bit of stress related to that of we set the pace for where the industry is going and what happens on our stages, the world reacts to. So we always try to prioritize making sure that when we think about who are the companies that we want to elevate and tell those stories, it's really important. So the fact that Sunil and Instant chose Money 2020A is always an honor because I think being humble is really important and you can't ever expect that that's going to happen. But I think it is a testament to what we've been doing more broadly, which is when things happen here, they go global. And um, you know, we've seen such a, a positive response. You know, Apple, Apple Pay, Uber Money, all these things started um, and they chose to announce here. And we have some other really interesting announcements coming. You know, we talked a bit about embedded finance earlier, the co-founder of Clear is here. I'm doing a session with him later. So I, it's just another example of what this looks like. But yeah, super honored that uh, Sunil and Instant chose Money 2020 to make their announcement about multi-pass. And it, I'm looking at the beautiful screen <laughs> happening behind you as it's happening. Yeah. So um, it's really exciting to see that. That's
0: great. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for taking some time out of I know it's a ridiculously busy schedule. But uh, for now, Scarlett Siva, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you, Russell.
0: Thanks.
1: Okay, I'm here with Mark Titar-Johnny, who's the Senior VP Venture Banking at
5: Pacific Western Bank. Nice to see you, Mark. Good to see you, Graham. Well, tell us a little bit about Pacific Western Bank. So Pacific Western Bank is uh, a community bank with a uh, venture banking branch. I work in the venture banking group, and we bank and lend to early stage startups that are VC-backed, both in technology and in uh, life sciences.
1: What about the onboarding then? How do you you approach that?
5: We have a completely digital onboarding, uh, and we've replaced uh, the old paper and PDF processes, and it's really important to to have that these days because that's what our customers are expecting. They want to be able to open up an account quickly and open it up anywhere and on any device, and we're able to do that. Now listen,
1: a hot topic at Money 2020
5: this year is fraud, fraud prevention. It's
1: becoming ever more sophisticated with technology like AI. How do you respond
5: to that? The digital account opening process has is, is been a big part of the response, right? And we've worked into that process, a KYC and a KYB process that uh, is eliminating some of those fraudsters from ever getting into the bank and opening up in a bank, you know? And, you know, we're making sure that everything's accurately corrected, that that collected, that things are accurate, details, you know, I's are dotted, T's are crossed you know, that sort of thing. And we really, again, we're allowing the customers to open up those accounts from anywhere that they can. And when you do that, you have to have those safeguards in place, right? So, you know, we're working with some of the uh, fintechs to uh, to keep make that a digital process for us.
1: Now, the other thing I'd like to ask you about is your merger with Bank of California. Yeah. So, how did that come about?
5: So, you know, it's been an interesting year for uh, banking and for venture banking in particular. And uh, after the disruption of earlier in the year, um, you know, we got, we got a little bit of the contagion spilled our way and ended up losing some deposits and had to rejigger our balance sheet. And in that process, we approached Bank of California, they approached us. I'm not sure kind of who who approached who first, but uh, the merger was officially uh, blessed by the regulators last week. We should be closing in about a month once uh, we get uh, shareholder approval. So we're real excited to team up with the Bank of California and bring the two banks together and create a, a stronger bank and a and ultimately a better customer experience for our customers. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean what's it going to mean for you? Is it it's going to be quite transformational? I think it is. You know, we, we really want to be a tech first bank. You know, that's a big priority. I was just sitting with Jen Taylor, uh, who runs up our, our digital banking and we were talking a little bit about the roadmap and it's exciting. And Bank of California, led by Jared Wolf, he's committed to uh the bank being a tech first bank yeah well look there's loads of exciting things going on you got that merger you've also got this startup services platform yeah how does that work yeah so you know we know that early stage startups you know they raise money and and making that money last as long as possible is really important right so we have a startup services platform that give startups free banking. Uh, we give them a high yield money market account. So we're trying to save them some money, maybe make them a little bit of money, you know, and allow them to spread that uh, that runway out a little bit, right? So, you know, we also work really strongly to uh, connect our clients to um, various resources right and i tell my clients when they come on board that they get me to work for them and i'm going to go find the money or or clients or employees or do whatever i can to help them so that's how we uh you know build that relationship with our early stage uh, clients yeah you sound like you're really energized about the future are you looking forward to the next 12 months very much so very much so i think you know we're going we're gonna to see some interesting things happen in the market. But I think with our merger and the way we're positioned right now, we're ready to take advantage of it. Well, best of luck with that. Mark Dajani, thanks for joining thanks, me
1: today. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. OK, I'm here with Sarah Hafner, who is SVP Global Partnerships at Liberus. Nice to see you here today, Sarah. Nice to see you too. How's your money 2020 been so far?
6: It's been great. It's amazing to see everybody here meeting up with some old colleagues, networking attending the events, a lot of big focus on identity this year um, and a lot of great founder conversations.
1: Yeah. What have been some of your favorite sessions so far?
6: Oh, you know, I loved the one where we talked about uh, KYC and KYB and the network effects and how AI can really help with it. Love to see some of the information that's shared on more of a global scale um, with a focus on LATAM. Um, For my company, we're really expanding into new geographies. So hearing how others are doing that has been really fantastic and then um, some of the meetings, just talking to founders who have new ideas, who have brought businesses up, sold them, and now are kind of trying new things again. It's really inspiring.
1: Now Liberis is a leading global embedded finance platform. I hope I've got that right. How does it help SMEs and female entrepreneurs?
6: Sure, so if you think about it, embedded finance really makes anybody a FinTech. So it takes a non-financial partner, such as an acquirer or a booking platform, and allows us to embed our lending solutions into it. What that means is that merchants or SMBs who are busy doing their business can get and access finance when they want and where they want it in a format that's easy for them, they understand. They don't need to go to the bank, fill out a long application or the high street. So it's a simple thing, they're able to do it almost when we're all sleeping at night when they're having a pause of their business and that really democratizes the access to capital for them.
1: And tell us about this uh, new partnership you've, you've got as well with this uh, Vegaro, is that the name of it? Vegaro. So yeah.
6: Vigaro has a merchant services division but they're very much focused on the health and beauty space, spas, wellness, providing a booking platform and really all access to any of the merchants who are in that sector and industry. What we're able to do is to provide, uh, we're powering Vegaro capital, which is allowing their merchants to access financing from $1,000 up to $100,000 in a four-click process. So staying within the Vegaro um, ecosystem, clicking on it and making it happen. And the $5 million that we funded to date in the first month, about 80% of that funding has gone to female-owned businesses, something I'm particularly proud of.
1: So that's a key focus, is it, with your partnerships, you really want to drive that female entrepreneurship? 100%.
6: Um, You know, I think for me being a female, driving female entrepreneurship or underserved areas is really important. But in general, focusing on developing any small business and providing that impact to them where they might not have gotten finance otherwise. One of the things we provide is a pre-approved offer. So that takes away that fear of rejection that a small business also often has when they're looking for funding. It's also easy and very transparent. Unlike things that have an APR related to it, Embedded finance and revenue-based finance gives you a fixed fee up front so that small business owner knows exactly what they're having to pay for that funding and oftentimes can get funding in as little as 48 hours. And when you look at the impact that makes not only to female businesses but really small businesses overall, it allows the bakers to get back baking um, and the financers to work on their finance.
1: Now give us a a few more insights maybe into the business. How do you approach things like customer onboarding?
6: So we look at customer onboarding in two different ways. One is onboarding the large partners who provide us access to merchants. That's completely white glove. These are the large companies like Vegaro, who people have heard of, or Worldpay. So that process is, you know, very much hand in hand, a great partnership. But then we also need to onboard the merchants who are taking on the financing. As you can imagine, that's a little bit different when you're talking about Jane Doe on the high street. So a lot of that is you know, understanding who they are, checking their transaction files, what their records are, making it as frictionless as possible and as quick and easy as possible.
1: How does that merchant experience kind of evolve then once, once they've
6: got access to your platform? Yeah, so I think once they have access to the platform, it's really providing them the information and the data to both understand that funding that they have, the repayment schedule, what it means to their business, and the access of what they can use it for. So giving them notification about when it's paid down to a certain amount that they can renew, ideas for what new capital can be used from, and really always providing them the information, again, in the environment and in the ecosystem that they want and that they're currently using to make their lives a lot easier.
1: What does the future hold? Is it, is it going to be more partnerships like the one with Vegaro? Do you anticipate? I,
6: I hope so. It's been a fantastic partnership. We're really focused on you know a distribution explosion. So launching in new geographies. We're launching in Canada um, this fall, and then some European markets um, in early Q1 of next year. And then understanding the products and services that are like the revenue-based finance that will also help a newer area of merchants in a similar manner.
1: Well, good luck with that global expansion. Sarah Hafner, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank
6: you, have a great day.
1: Okay, joining me now is Alex Jimenez. He is Managing Principal Financial Services Consulting at EPAM Systems. Alex, nice to see you. Nice
7: to be here. Well, give us an intro to EPAM. Tell us about what you guys do. Uh, Yeah, so EPAM, we are a a digital transformation company. And what does that mean? Uh, It it means we, we work with organizations looking at their business strategy which is actually where I come in. but uh, And then we also look at the experience that is being provided, so we have designers and, and, and folks like that who build great customer experiences. And then the DNA of our company, the majority of our, our, our team is the technologists. So software developers, experts in all kinds of practices, cybersecurity, AI, blockchain, you name it. And we, we cut across uh, all industries. And while I am focused in banking in the Americas, uh, you know, we have experts in all kinds of other industries.
1: Now, we uh, we were together last night. We, there was a panel session hosted by our partners, Instant, at a bar called MOT32 here at the Venetian in Las Vegas. And that was all around universal identity. Give us some of the highlights of that conversation.
7: I, I, it was great. Uh, you know, prior to the discussion I had with Instant a couple of weeks ago, I had no idea what Instant did. But, but the idea of having a portable identification that you own, that you can then present to anyone, whether it's a bank or a hospital or, or you know, you name it, to identify yourself, uh, but that you own that. I, that. To me, that's a fantastic idea, and the fact that you're, you know, you you can enter all your information that's required but you're not giving it to the company you're pretty much saying look I have proof of who I am and what I'm about and you know given the handshake if you will between that uh, you know the, the 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 process can start And you get rid of all the friction that we have in banking and in other industries where you have to prove who you are over and over again. I I
5: love that.
1: Yeah, and how far away is this, do you think? I mean, it seemed to me on the panel session, this is becoming almost inevitable. We were talking about the history of finance, you know, from credit cards, from checks to credit cards, et cetera, et cetera. So
7: how far away could this be? I think it's a range of, you know, and, and this is something that we actually discussed yesterday. Uh, I, I think there's there'll be some early adopters, both from the banks and from the consumers, uh, and there are some laggards. So you know, if you who, when are the laggards get on get onto this, you know, it could be twenty years from now. But I think the, the the leading edge, the early adopters will be will can be there five years from now, or even less. It also depends on the market. I think some markets are more ready for it. I would say Europe is probably more ready than than the U.S. There's a lot of confusion about privacy and so on, and I, I think Europe has done a really great job with GDPR and other things that has allowed people to be a little more comfortable about some things that you know in the U.S. We're we're not quite there yet. Now, you know, we're talking about some of the key topics here at Money 2020,
1: obviously fraud is a huge thing, particularly in the hands of these ever more sophisticated fraudsters using AI, etc. So what are some of the key challenges that your clients
7: face in that space? Well, the, the weakest link, it's always the human element. And so when I talk to banks about the, their biggest challenges, it's always, it always comes back to these stories of my client was gave their credentials or my client believes that they're paying somebody who doesn't really is who they say they are. Uh, and, and that continues to be the top issue. Obviously, there, there's going to be some really complicated issues from a technology standpoint as we go forward. Things that we think we have addressed today, like encryption, uh, if you have quantum computing, uh, encryp- encryption might be might might be going away, at least the way we do it today. Right. So organizations started thinking about those things. It's like, all right, we thought we had answered that. Now, now we have issues. Think of thinking uh, about the future. So it, it, it goes the gamut, right, from really highly technical stuff, from how do we teach people not to give credentials to anybody?
1: Uh, it's an absolute minefield, isn't it? And I'm just sure that it's going to be... And then there's AI on top of it. Yeah, but well, what, what do you think about that? I mean, how much of a challenge is that going to pose?
7: Well, it, you know, it used to be that you could easily count and figure out who was trying to fish you uh, because, you know, the language was not a... Appropriate. Uh, There's a lot of spelling and Maybe so on. Maybe the email address. Yeah, yeah seven, things yeah. just didn't look right. Now you can just write it out in your bad English, put it into chat GPT and say, please make it grammatically correct. And all of a sudden you have a beautiful set of writing that people are going to fall for because they think, hey, this does sound like a bank. So uh, it'll be
1: interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting. Well, look, thanks for sharing all those insights. It was great speaking with you on the the panel last night as well. So Alex Jimenez, have a great show. Thank you so much. I'm here with Ram Palaniapun, the founder and CEO of Earning. Ram, nice to see you. Good to be here. You're speaking on a panel session around financial inequality, aren't you? What are the key points you're looking to make in that session?
8: I think there's lots of things that we've accepted that um, lead to more and more inequality, and we don't seem to question those. And so I'm hoping that the panel will sort of talk about those and hopefully um, get people thinking about those problems and how we can solve them. Common ones are we know that about half the country can't find $400 in an emergency. Um, But if you want to go get a new apartment, you've got to put two months of rent down as a deposit, so it makes it really tough for someone to move. The same thing with when people don't have much money in their bank account, just the fact that we're getting paid every two weeks is also complicated for people who are um, have lower incomes. Like, you could wonder why we're paid every two weeks. We don't have to get paid every two weeks. So I think it's things like that that we've sort of accepted, but bit by bit they make inequality worse and worse and worse.
1: So what sparked the idea for Earning then? Where, where did it come from?
8: Um, this is quite interesting. I did not set out with the intention to start a company. Um, I was working at another company and then I heard that one of my employees was running into overdrafts and taking out short-term loans. And I was surprised because I thought we were paying everyone well. So when I spoke with her, the problem that she had was she needed money the next day, couldn't wait till the following Friday. Um, it was already halfway through the week and so I said, we'll just pay you for the days you already worked. And I couldn't make our payroll system do that. And so I just gave her the money that she had already earned and said, we'll settle it when the payroll system finally runs. I landed up doing that for a handful of my employees for about four years. It was completely in the office in person. <laughs> and I left the office, uh, I left the company, and they wanted to know if I'd still do it for them. And like, what I did for them is something that happens in millions of businesses, where you see the small business owner, or like the store manager does it for their employees. Um, anyway, so the employees wanted to know if I would continue to do it for them. I didn't mind, these are people I'd seen in the office for years. So I continued to do it, in the beginning it was over instant messenger. Um, and then that was a little bit difficult to manage because I keep getting messages during the day. So I built a really simple web form, and when I had this web page up, then people who I didn't know tried to use it. And then I decided I'll try to do it for them as well. And what I realized is that if you give someone access to the money that they've already earned when they need it, their life is much simpler. They're paying all their bills on time, no more um, late fees on bills, bills aren't piled up on payday with those late fees, no more overdrafts, no more loans, life is much simpler.
1: Okay, so that's the background. How does it actually work?
8: Um, so it's actually really simple. So our customers will basically download our app from the App Store, iOS or Android, set up an account that give us some information about um, where they work, as well as um, where they need the money to be deposited into their bank account. Um, and then we're able to sort of calculate how much money they've earned. We show them how much money they've already earned, accrued, but hasn't been paid out. And wherever they want, they can choose to move that money into their checking account.
0: Okay. Brilliant.
1: Now, I was looking on your website, and it says your aim is to build a more equitable financial system, which sounds amazing, but how does it actually work in practice? Can you give us some examples?
8: So I, the one that we deal with a lot is just the rigidity of the pay cycle. It's such an archaic system. Nothing else in our lives really works in a two-week batch. I mean, imagine if Google said, give me all of your search queries and every two weeks I'll give you the results. <laughs> you wouldn't use that search engine, um, but that's the kind of payroll system that we have and we're all forced into it. And now we're trying to cre- uh, create an option, give consumers choice.
1: And are there, are there some like, examples of people you've actually helped?
8: So let me think of a few. So there was one person who I met recently. She works um, at a hospital in Columbus, Ohio. And her daughter has a passion for dance. And she has to pay for the dance class at the beginning of the month. And she wouldn't have been able to do that without earning. And so to me, it's amazing that through our app, her daughter is able to follow her passion for dance and um, participate in dance competitions.
1: So yeah, it sounds like the business is, is taking off and it's, it's going well. What are the challenges that you're facing at the moment?
8: So I see this like, whenever you're running a business, the business comes with lots and lots of challenges just to run, so there's that complexity. I think also when you're trying to do innovative financial products, you sort of have to figure out what is possible, what is not possible from the technology point of view, but you also want to get the regulations to um, support what you're trying to do. So those are kind of been the areas that we're focused on.
1: We're talking a lot here at the show about customer onboarding. So we're keen to, all the different brands that we're speaking to, keen to get their thoughts. So tell me how that works at earning.
8: Yeah, so our onboarding um, today is usually how the customer sets up their account. Um, and there's a couple of things that we do that is um, that, that are different from some of the other onboardings because our product is different. So one of the things that we do is we have to be able to verify that they're working at where they're working. We also need to see their paycheck history and their frequency so we can verify the bank account and in some cases we get information from the employers as well.
1: And what are you personally excited about in the next few years, about where you can take earning?
8: I think there's still so much more to do, just the way the financial system works. it, um, It works well for people who have money, but it's full of pain points if you're on the lower income side and I think we see lots and lots of those pain points and that what we're focused on uh, building more solutions for.
1: Well, we wish you all the best for that. It was fascinating to hear the earnings story. Ram Palanyapen, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thanks again to all our guests who took the time to chat with us on Instance Booth here at Money 2020 USA. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do follow us wherever you
1: get your podcasts. And if you want to contribute to the discussion, you can find us on LinkedIn
0: and all the usual social channels. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with us as well, uh, you can do that via the contact form on the website at csuitepodcast.com. But for now, from me, Russell Goldsmith and Graham Barrett, thanks for listening and goodbye.